are listening to Ouija Brats. This is Devin. This is Liz. And Liz, I have the conclusion for you of the D.B. Cooper mystery. Thank God. Are you ready for it? It's been such a long week. It's, are you ready for it? You've just been <laughs> salivating the last week, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I know it. And what people at home don't know is that you waited, what, 30 seconds while I saved that episode and then started a new one? Just about. Our process is magical, okay? And we're just trying to get a lot of episodes in the can before we both decided we had to move at the same time. We had to move at the same time. I'll let people suspend disbelief and think that I made you wait like a big old meanie for a whole week. (laughs) Like I did with the second part of the Raleigh story. Rude. And I really hope we have time to record that today because I really want to know what's going on with Raleigh. It's getting close. Oh, Oh, I want to tell them one thing before we jump in. Yeah, do it. That as we've been researching, I come across some stories sometimes that I think are really interesting, but that I think much like with the Japanese internment camps, I feel like if we covered them on the show the temptation might be there to get kind of glib and funny about something that doesn't have any humor to it. And we don't want to make too much light of not that, you know, some of the stuff we've covered, like serial killers is not like, I mean, obviously that's a laugh, right? Hilarious. But you know, there's some stuff where you're just like, there's no fat on this meat to really play with and like explore and get the comedy out of. So anyway, when I find stuff like that that I think is interesting but not a good show topic, I've been writing it up and putting it up on WeijaBroads.com. So if that's something you're interested in, go check it out. There really are a lot of especially missing person stuff mm-hmm. like that in Washington that the case fascinates me. But like you said, I'm not going to make jokes about that. No. Well, and I'm not very, <sighs> you know, <laughs> Liz, I'm not very savvy. So if I know not to make jokes about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's just our stone cold bummer department. And (laughs) you can go enjoy that at OuijaBroads.com. We're changing the show name. We're the stone cold bummer department.com. Full stop. I love it. Oh, Liz, you make my life good. D.B. Cooper, my friend. Bring it on. D.B. Cooper. We left off trying to find out who... D.B. Cooper is. And if you're playing along at home, you probably want to know what evidence we have so that you, like everybody's grandma who's watching her mystery stories, can yell at the TV that you know who it is. I feel very attacked right now. (laughs) I didn't say your name. (laughs) If you want to out yourself, put yourself on Front Street, you do it. One time we were watching Sherlock and I actually wrote down a note as to who I what I thought was happening and who did it and saved it on my phone so that when it was over I could show Matt. I love you so much. Were you right? I was. (laughs) (laughs) That's awful because now you're validated. Now you're gonna do it for more thinking you're right. Oh, there's no living with me. It's true. I'm gonna have this case crap. So tell me who the three people are. Well, no, I'm going to tell you some stuff that the authorities know before oh, I tell you who right. the three people are. Tell You're me You're going to have evidence. to hold your horses. We have never. a physical description of him and his mannerisms. Did you tell me never? What? Yeah. You're in time out. I'm going to mute your audio. Never Unplug my headphones. Woman. <laughs> D.B. Cooper, much like you, was 5'10 to 6 foot. That's me. Piercing brown eyes. Close. Not quite you. Uh, 170 to 180 pounds. I wish. 
<laughs> and it is mid forties. No, no, one out of four. Uh, he was also described as polite, calm, and courteous, so we can further rule your sass mouth out. <laughs> and he appeared to be familiar with the Seattle area, which, again, I'm going to rule your sass mouth out because I was around the Seattle area with you this weekend. <laughs> and he was knowledgeable about the aircraft he was on. When I say he was familiar with the Seattle area, when they were in flight, he looked out the window at one point and pointed out Tacoma, which, you know, is... Not something I would know from the air, and I live here. Okay, he that's pretty good. That's pretty good, right? And he also made the comment that McCord Air Force Base was about a 20-minute drive away, which, again, how would you know that unless you were familiar with the area? All right, that's pretty good evidence. At first, I thought you were going to say he pointed out and was like, that's the Space Needle. <laughs> <laughs> look at the Eiffel Tower over there. Now I have to look up when the Space Needle was built. Oh, man. Wasn't it? I thought it was the 70s. 1962. I was so wrong. God, I'm bad at this game. That's what we know. Here's what we assume. We assume that Dan Cooper is a fake name. The authorities also assume that the man was probably in pretty desperate financial straits because people who use extortion... Uh, criminals that are extortionists actually almost universally are in some kind of dire straits. There's a lot easier ways to get $200,000. Are there? Apparently. I don't know of them. I'm not flush with cash. Okay. That's what the experts say. That you would have have been desperate to do this. Okay. So it's not like I feel like having $200,000. It's like... I owe $200,000 to Fat Tony or something. Exactly. Or he's going to take my legs. Yeah. Exactly right. Okay. So basically, you would only risk that for that money if the risks associated with not having that money were worse. Absolutely. That makes sense to me. Doesn't it make... I mean, I kind of figure, like, Fat Tony's going to kill me if I don't give him $200,000. Well, let's try to get $200,000, and if I die in the attempt, sucks to be you, Fat Tony. Yeah. Now you're out out with a bang. And me. Hmm. They also are pretty sure that this dude was a a shrewd, careful planner, even though he picked maybe not the best of the two shoots and certainly not the best of the two backup shoots. Mm -hmm. He still, you know, demanded four parachutes, knowing that that would mean the authorities wouldn't sabotage any of them thinking he might give them to a stewardess. Uh, he knew that this seven uh, that this aircraft was ideal for a bailout escape because of the stair placement, because of the placement of the engines, uh, because he could open the door. They also think he was probably a shrewd planner because he chose to commit the crime the night beginning a four-day weekend. So it was right before Thanksgiving. Remember I said that? Mm-hmm. So. If you are a random Joe businessman and you need to be at work on Monday, you can probably commit a crime on Wednesday night, have the whole weekend for anybody that you're familiar with to think like, oh, whatever, Joe's over here at his grandmother's house doing Thanksgiving dinner, and then you can still show up to work on Monday morning, and no Hmm. one's the wiser. That does give you a lot of leeway. That probably also explains why it was such a big plane going from Portland to Seattle. Oh, look at you piecing this shit together. Yeah. Good job, dude. I bet there were a bunch of people flying for the holiday weekend, right? Mm-hmm. That, that seems like it would make sense for me. But also working backward from that, if 
if the reason he chose Thanksgiving was because nobody was going to miss until Monday, he must not have had a family that he was very close with, either his own wife and kids or a partner or his own parents. Yeah, my thought was that he didn't have a... Um what is it? What is your core family group called? Like you said, a wife and kids. My thought was he didn't have that, mm-hmm. but maybe he had enough extra family members uh, that he was able to say, "Oh, mom and dad, you know, I'm going over to Bill and Melinda Gates's house for dinner because they are my aunt and uncle, or whatever it was." That he had he had plausible enough alibis to not go yeah. to one family dinner, but to you know his family. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I thought, yeah, he's either got no family at all, no one's going to miss him, or he's got enough, but they're spread out enough. It's not weird that, Mm -hmm. you know, Uncle Joe doesn't come to Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, I think even for a $20 plane ticket, like, that's just a lot of disruption, and I don't think air travel was quite as common. You know, I didn't, I don't remember if I always made it back for Thanksgiving when I lived in Portland. Yeah, so that could be plausible. You could see, like, maybe... He presumably, let's say he lived in Portland or he lived in Seattle and maybe his family lives in Tri-Cities or they live in California or something. If they're extended family or his parents or something, you could plausibly say like, hey, mom and dad, you know, it's I'm tired. Work's been really busy. I'm just going to, you know, do my own thing or I'm going to go over to my girlfriend's house or I'm going to go to my friend's house. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. He was in his 40s, and it's the 1970s, so you assume his parents are, you know, if he's mm-hmm. in his late 40s, they're in their, what, 70s? Not everybody lived that long, I suppose. Um, That's true. So did yeah. anybody ever see a wedding ring or a suspicious tan line on his finger? Ooh, they sure don't report that. I should have been in the 70s and looking. Yeah. Yeah, They. Uh, he was very, very uh, nondescript. Just a mm-hmm. kind of boring, pleasant-looking man with dark hair, dark eyes, white dude. You know, all of the sketches I've seen of him, he kind of has a more uh, heart-shaped face or teardrop-shaped face with a, mm-hmm. a pointier chin, broader forehead. Um, just looked kind of like your average businessman. That's what we knew in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, we have modern technology on our side. Because there are some citizen sleuths that are still working on this case. This case was officially closed by the FBI in 2016. They cited that they needed to focus their resources and their efforts, obviously, on some cases that aren't 45 years old, in which no one got hurt. I suppose. Um, One of the longest-running unsolved cases the FBI's worked on had some of the most man hours that has been contributed to a case. I mean, I figure like the Zodiac killer has got more hours, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking that's a little bit apples to oranges. Yeah. I really feel like though, if I were in charge of the FBI, I would have a department of stuff. We just really want to know. And oh, yeah, that would be their job and we would oh, have a yeah. limited amount of resources, but they would always be on it. But there's still, that's kind of what you, you know, like when a professor comes back as emeritus or whatever, and you're like, Mm -hmm. cool, work on this project. When FBI guys retire and they're like, well, I still, I don't want to go and sit all day and watch the wife garden. They're like, okay, we'll go back through D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Go go back through, you know, who, where is Jimmy Hoffa? (laughs) What's, what actually are marshmallows made out of? You figure that out for me. 
except when it goes horribly wrong, which I know it sometimes does. I really enjoy the whole internet sleuth thing for these kind of historical cases. I don't love it when they're trying to solve something in real time, but the cases like this or um, Grateful Doe and stuff like that, where people have pulled together this information and actually answered some questions. It's just so cool because it's just a matter of resources. You know, they only have so much funding. So if people are intrigued, why not? If 4chan wanted to know who D.B. Cooper was, we'd have this licked in about 30 hours because they keep finding Shia LaBeouf or Shia LaBeouf, however you say that poor man's name, no matter where he goes to fuck with his flag. Poor kid. Anyway, well, we do have the Internet now and we Mm -hmm. do have some super cool scientific equipment that's helping us out as of, I think it was 2009, mm-hmm. there's this paleontologist from the Burke Museum here in Seattle. He is using a team of citizen sleuths, and they are the Cooper Research, sorry, they are the Cooper Research Team, um, also citizen sleuths team, and they are reinvestigating these important components of the case that we now have new technology for us. Uh which includes using GPS and satellite imagery to kind of figure out, well, where could he have landed? This is what I think is fascinating, Liz, is that they're using electron microscopes on Cooper's tie and tie clip, and they're discovering all kinds of stuff that's going to help us with his identity, I think. Oh, okay. In 2009, they discovered lycopodium spores on his tie, which is a pharmaceutical product, as well as... Like a podium. It's not like a podium. It's L-Y-C-O-P-O-D-I-U-M. Okay. You're the health person. You should know I've what's in drugums. Lycopodium. Well, did you say like, what's in drugums? Yeah, I did. That's what like I called them. Lycopodium is a club moss. <laughs> it's what, they said it was in a pharmaceutical product. In a drugum. You know, homeopathic. Maybe I don't know. This is this is what smarter people than me are telling me. But you're okay. smarter than I am, and you're telling me something else. So <laughs> they found they also found bismuth and aluminum traces on the tie clip. In 2011, they were able to identify pure titanium on his tie and tie clip. I didn't know that pure titanium was prevalent now but apparently in the 1970s it was really rare and you would have only really found this at a metal fabrication facility or at a chemical company that would have combined it with aluminum which you remember they found on his tie i do remember that definitely you do remember that so what these sleuths are thinking is that he was maybe a chemist or a metallurgist and he was probably an engineer or a manager since that's the level at which you would have worn a tie. Oh, good point. Yeah, that's as an employee. You know what? That's also, yeah. I was wondering why he was wearing a clip on tie and maybe he was just a fashion victim, but also <laughs> don't tie a big string around your neck exactly. if you work with machines. Exactly. Yep, you got to have something that's breakaway. Mm-hmm. In 2017, so that's this year, they have further found rare earth minerals on this. Uh, tie and tie clip that in the 1970s one of the applications of the few minerals they found 
was at Boeing's supersonic transport development project. What? That sounds made up. Right? Doesn't it? Nope. Supersonic transport development project is real, and it's something Boeing was doing in the 70s, and it's where you would have come into contact with things like cerium and strontium sulfide, which is what they found. The other place that you could have found it around here was in Portland. There were two firms that were making cathode ray tubes. Oh. So they're starting to narrow down where did this dude come from. Mm-hmm. Or at least where did his tie go before it went on this plane? where did his tie go? That's another thing that conspiracy theorists say you have no way of proving that the DNA found on this tie came DNA? from Cooper. They have a partial DNA profile okay. on D.B. Cooper as well. Um, I don't know what DNA gets on a tie or a tie clip. I don't want to ask. But they do have a partial profile. And people are saying, well, you know, it could somebody could have, I don't know sneezed on him i guess you don't get dna on a sneeze but the fbi is saying yes okay fine we can't conclusively say the dna on this tie is his but we're gonna be pretty damn sure that it is because how who else would have dna on this who who else would have cut their cheek shaving you know and mm-hmm. gotten blood on it or or saliva on it or whatever it is that the dna got there from At the very Uh, least, if you could identify whose DNA it was, you could narrow it down unless it was like the flight attendants or something. Exactly. They have used the DNA to actually rule out a couple of suspects whose DNA profiles didn't match. So it's already come in handy. There's two more theories I want to tell you about before I tell you some suspects. There's another theory about his identity. So we're narrowing it down. We think maybe Mm -hmm. he could have worked at Boeing or maybe he could have worked at one of these cathode ray tube plants in Portland. Sure, lots of people work there. So how do we narrow it down further? And one of the, the theories is that he was of Canadian origin. And they think this Why? for a couple reasons. One, okay. when he asked for $200,000, he specifically said, I want it in negotiable American currency, which is not really a phrase you'd use if American currency was your currency of origin, is what they think. I guess. That just seems like he's negotiating with a genie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> give me yes. 200,000 doll hairs. Don't give me 200,000, you know, yes. inflated from a country that doesn't exist yes. anymore dollars. Yes. Don't give me 200,000 purple ones. Negotiable <laughs> American currency. I've been burned before. <laughs> okay. New theory is that he's dealt with a genie in the past. <laughs> And this genie (laughs) fucked him over, and he needs to pay the genie (laughs) $200,000. This is all coming together. It's all coming together. Liz, you're brilliant. Call the (laughs) FBI immediately. Well, they think, all right, so maybe he's not American. That's why he's this specific. And the crew didn't report an accent. So most likely place that also speaks English that doesn't really have an accent is Canada. We think he's from Canada. And what further supports the Canada theory, which is something that I apparently thought needed an exclamation mark in my notes, because I have, this was the most interesting part of the Canada theory, exclamation mark, (laughs) is that 
Agents theorize he takes the Dan Cooper alias from a Belgian comic book series that was popular at the time that had a fictional hero, Dan Cooper, who was a Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot. And the comic books were never released in America or translated into English. However, they were sold in Canada. So they think maybe the hijacker was playing a little joke by also being a Canadian dude who jumps out of airplanes. That's a deep Dan cut. Dan Cooper. Deep cut, right? Um, and it was never translated into English, so either he could read them in the original language, yes. or he just picked up contextually that these were about a skydiver whose name was Dan Cooper, even exactly. if he couldn't read the stories. Even okay. if he couldn't read the stories. Yeah, you can follow along with the pretty pictures, I guess. You're more mm-hmm. into comics than I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember that time you tried to get me to read The Watchmen and I read it and I was really mad about it? <laughs> and then I watched the movie and I was even more mad about it. Everybody was mad about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love most of the things you live. Er, whoa, I love most of the things you live. I love most of the things you love. <laughs> Are you okay? No, I'm looking at the second lives of Seattle mortuaries on my on my bookmark thing here and i'm just saying the words that i look at (laughs) that's good that's good yeah yeah another theory they were throwing around was cooper a paratrooper or an air force veteran and of course i've already said this they think that because he had a pretty good knowledge of planes he had Mm an ish knowledge of parachutes um originally they thought yeah this dude is like ex-paramilitary And then pretty quickly on, like I I think I said in the last episode, was that they think, no, because an experienced skydiver or paratrooper would not have wanted to have jumped in the dark, in the rain, with 200 mile an hour wind in his face while wearing, what, loafers and a trench coat. Yeah, and there's no indication that this plan had gotten out of hand and he originally meant to jump much earlier, right? Like, his flight didn't get delayed. No. This was his plan. This was, it seemed like this was his plan, that, you know, going to Mexico and refueling in Nevada was a red herring, that he had always intended to jump out where he jumped out. Hmm. So they think, all right, we'll dial it back. We think that he was probably an Air Force veteran, but maybe someone like a cargo loader or he worked on the tarmacs, but he didn't really jump out of planes. His experience around aircraft was more rudimentary than they initially Mm -hmm. thought. Initially, the FBI had over a thousand potential serious suspects. These are folks that they really thought could actually be D.B. Cooper. And they interviewed them, and they processed them, and they narrowed it down to some folks that they thought, well, you know, this sounds right, but they never have found someone that beyond a reasonable doubt fits their suspicions, fits their profile. Uh, I'm going to tell you about three of the ones that I thought were most interesting. Um, This is a handful of men and one woman who continue to be promoted by these private citizen search groups. As I'm so excited that one of them's think. a woman. I, right? Because well, <laughs> I get just get in that question everything mode, and I'm like, how do you know it was a man? Even? How do you know it was a man is right. Well, I'm going to tell you about the two dudes first. You get to hear okay. about Barbara third. The okay. first one was a guy named Ted Mayfield. Ted was an Army Special Forces veteran pilot, and he was a recreational skydiver. He also hmm. had been in trouble with the law before 
because of armed robbery and transporting a stolen aircraft. Whoa. Sounds familiar, right? Yeah. He was an early suspect, but he was ruled out also early uh, because he called FBI agents like two hours after the plane landed in Reno and was like, hey, I can give you some advice on skydiving practices and landing zones if you want. You know, I can help you out. I have knowledge. The perfect alibi. Perfect alibi is what many conspiracy theorists think. Uh, The Mm -hmm. FBI is like, there's no way you parachuted out into wilderness and got to a telephone in two hours. But other conspiracy theorists think, no, you could have. Yeah, or somebody saying you were Ted Mayfield could have called. I didn't even think of that. Damn, you're cynical and you are sharp. (laughs) He didn't show up in person and show photo ID. You're absolutely right he didn't. Well, hey. (laughs) Hey, 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 Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy. At 10 o'clock, I want you to call the FBI and tell them that you're me. Yeah, do it. Do it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Well, man, if he was D.B. Cooper, he got what was coming to him because in 1994, he had to spend some time in prison for negligent homicide when two of his skydiving students died after their parachutes (gasps) failed to open. Oh, my God. Because of that case, they actually found Go ahead. The same incident? Same incident. Okay. Because of that case, they found out actually that he was responsible for 13 additional deaths because (gasps) of faulty equipment and poor training. Oh, my God. Guys, it's like sushi. Never go with the cheapest skydiving instructor. No. Skydiving instructors and waxers. I will never take Mm. the cheap option. Mm -hmm. My word. Get what you pay for. Or tattoo artists. Or tattoo artists. Everybody just... Also, you should probably send money to podcast people because you don't (laughs) want them to have shitty podcasts. No, my friend. Yeah, you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. (laughs) Oh, Liz, no one ever accused us of being anything but cheap and easy. (laughs) I'll have you know I'm cheap and extremely difficult. (laughs) Bless you, woman, you are. You are. (laughs) Okay, so so Ted... I feel like the whole overlap of not knowing when a parachute's not any good is kind of telling. Kind of telling. Although, I, you know, D.B. Cooper jumped out of the plane with a parachute that didn't even work, man. So, yeah. it if Ted was the dude and he survived that, it sounds like it was just by the grace of God. Because he killed mm-hmm. at least 15 other people doing this bullshit. Christ. Okay. Of the other potential suspects, I really believed this dude, Richard Floyd McCoy. What a name, right? Richard Mm -hmm. Floyd McCoy Jr., old Tricky Dicky McCoy, was super likey. Tricky Dicky McCoy. Oh, my goodness. Just nickname (laughs) everybody from now on. (laughs) Hmm. Tricky Dicky Floydy McCoy was an Army veteran. He'd done two tours of Vietnam. He was a demolitions expert. He was a helicopter pilot. And he was a recreational skydiver. And you remember when I told you about the, you know, over a dozen copycat cases in 1972? Mm-hmm. Well, he was the most famous of those copycat cases. Because oh. in 1972, he boarded a Boeing 727, used a fake hand grenade and unloaded gun, and demanded $500,000 and two parachutes. 
and bailed out over Provo, Utah with the money. Tricky Dicky. Well, he was picked up two days later with the cash. So they're like, haha, gotcha. Put him in prison. And he escaped two day or two years later. Two days later. He escaped (laughs) two years into his 45 year sentence with the help of several accomplices and crashing a garbage truck into the prison gates. That's exciting. Super exciting. It took him three months to track him down. And they did track him down in Florida where he was killed in a shootout with FBI agents. A lot of the officers on this case thought McCoy was Cooper, including the agent who killed him. That agent famously said, when I shot Richard McCoy, I shot D.B. Cooper at the same time. Kind of full of himself. I mean, it's kind of in his best interest to think that he nabbed two of them at once, right? But it's a pretty good line. Um They thought, you know, there were some major similarities between the hijackings. His family said the Pearl clip belonged to McCoy. And when they were like, hey, McCoy, did you do it? Were you D.B. Cooper? He was like, maybe. He didn't confirm or deny it. So that's the evidence they were going on. They've since ruled him out as a suspect. The FBI has, not citizen sleuths. But the FBI has said... um, there's a mismatch between his age and description that's so great, mm. it's really unlikely. And also, McCoy was way above and beyond the skydiving skill we now think Cooper had. Um, also, we're pretty sure that McCoy was in Las Vegas on the day of the hijacking and then was in Utah the next day. So really didn't have time to get to Portland, jump out of an airplane, and then get back to Utah for family dinner. I think the part that I find most unconvincing about him as a suspect mm-hmm. is why you would go back to that well and do a crappier version. Yes. You know? Yes. Because a grenade is not a good thing to set off on a plane that you're in. Mm-mm. I mean, nope. neither is a bomb. Neither is a bomb. However... But- you said it was a fake grenade? It was a fake grenade. It was a, um, what did they say it was? Uh, it was a paperweight. An avocado. It was an avocado. Okay. No, it was a paperweight that looked like a hand grenade. Uh, made by the same company that makes fake parachutes that look exactly like real parachutes. <laughs> by Acme. They supply yes, Wiley Coyote Acme. with all did of they, his things. Has anybody asked Wiley Coyote what he was doing? Yeah, Liz, I've was, seen his amateur <laughs> skydiving attempts. He was he was jumping off a thing in New Mexico with an anvil tied to a string. I was gonna say it's too. They that's why they had to have the cockpit door closed because when he jumped off, he just held up a little sign that said "Yikes!" <laughs> Yikes! And he hung there for a second. <laughs> a little puff. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, DB Wiley Coyote Cooper. Poor man. Why do you think people do crimes with fake weapons? Do you think they just can't get real ones? Or, like, why would you bring an unloaded gun? I feel like that's just saying, hello, please bring guns to deal with me, and I won't actually have a gun to deal with you. It just looks like I do. Yeah, I... (laughs) This is not a pipe, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's very Dadaist of them, Liz. It's very surrealist of them. It's just um, a very strange way to, like, raise the stakes in a way that you can't meet. You can't, exactly, you can't, when, what is the, when push comes to shove, like, yeah. you're, 
you're nowhere, buddy. You gotta. Yeah. I don't know. I think that that's is that maybe if you get caught, you've got some plausible deniability to the judge being like, well, I was never going to kill anybody. I'm not a lawyer, was but I, I believe that actually doesn't hold up. Yeah, um, like you can't rob a bank with a fake gun or an unloaded gun and get a different sentence, sentence. than if you had robbed it with an actual functioning yeah, gun. Yeah, yeah. You can still get charged with real or simulated weapon, and yeah. it's the same shit, right? Not a lawyer. Not a lawyer. <laughs> Neither am I, even though I play one on TV. Okay. The third suspect, this is the one you're waiting for, is Barbara mm-hmm. Dayton. Uh, Barbara, Barbara was Barbara was born Robert and was a recreational <gasps> pilot and UW librarian. Yeah. Barbara transitioned in 1969 and changed her name to Barbara, no longer going by Robert. Barbara was a merchant marine and then in the army during World War II and afterward was a recreational pirate. Uh, pirate. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I love I recreational love piracy. <laughs> On the weekends. In your spare time. Yo ho. God dang oh it. Barbara was a recreational pilot and UW librarian, not pirate. My a pilot goodness. and a librarian. That's an interesting overlap. It's a good mix. Well, Barbara became a librarian because Barbara tried to get her commercial airline license. And for whatever reason, the airline industry and FAA continually denied it of her. Gee, yeah, whatever reason. Wonder why. So she claimed that she staged the D.B. Cooper hijacking disguised as a man to get back at the airline industry and FAA because they denied her her pilot's license, and that she hid the ransom money in a cistern south of Portland. And she eventually recanted her entire story, and the FBI has never commented on her viability as a suspect. So out of the three of them, she's the only one who's actually out and out said, yeah, that was me. And the other one was kind of like, could have been. There are a bunch of other folks who have done deathbed confessions and, you know, have turned in like their uncles saying, I'm positive that Shifty Larry over there was D.B. Cooper. Uh, For sure. Barbara was one of those that was like, no, I did it. And it's because y'all are bitches. What up now? So Uh, Barbara never, we don't know with Barbara. We don't know. Did she have skydiving experience? She did, right? Uh, I don't I don't recall that she had skydiving experience. She definitely had piloting experience. Okay. I don't recall, and it's not in my notes. So I'm it's sorry. It's interesting, because... Go ahead. That's okay. The piloting experience thing is tricky, because there's a point at which you're like, well, even if you are a recreational pilot, do you know how to pilot a Boeing 747? Exactly. Or are you more familiar with a completely different type of aircraft? Exactly. The little puddle huh. jumpers or crop dusters or, you know, whatever... The small personal aircraft are, I would imagine, are quite different even in the 70s from the control panel, the instrumentation panels you're looking at on a jumbo jet. This is also interesting. Well, despite all of the suspects, there's not an official suspect. The FBI doesn't have one pushed forward. And as I said, I think in the last episode, as of 2016, this case was closed with the caveat that they will reopen it if any substantial evidence, particularly concerning money, 
Mm. Um, or a body obviously comes forward. Hmm. In addition to the TSA changes that were made as a result of Cooper's case, there's also been a new change to uh, airplanes on these Boeings. There's a device now called a Cooper vane, which prevents stairs from being lowered during flight. Oh, my God. Like, like a weather vane, but it's a Cooper vane. And also, this case was the reason why we now have peepholes in cockpit doors so that folks oh. can be locked in cockpits but still see what's going on in the cabin. Wow. Okay. I have huh. two have you, have, follow-up conspiracies oh, for you. Yes, more conspiracies. You ready for more conspiracies? Mm-hmm. The first one concerns the owner of the skydiving school that provided the parachutes to Cooper. In April 2013, Earl Cossey, the owner, was found dead in his Woodenville home. His death was ruled a homicide due to blunt force trauma to the head. And police officials said that the motive was likely burglary. But conspiracy theorists are all over this, thinking it's related to the Cooper case. There's one conspiracy theorist in particular, Bruce Smith, who thinks that Cossey was murdered by what he called a Norjack puppet. I don't understand the phrase, but basically the FBI forever had used Cossie as their expert on parachuting, on parajumping, on parachutes. And Cossie originally had said, oh, no, the guy was totally inexperienced. He probably died because he didn't know what Mm -hmm. he was doing. And then later in life was like, actually, you know, that older shoot that he used... Maybe, you know, like you said early on, Liz, like maybe that was what he was familiar with. Maybe he Mm. actually had a reason for using it. Maybe whatever it is. But I don't think he was as bad as the FBI says he was at skydiving. So basically, this conspiracy theorist Smith says Cossie was bad-mouthing the FBI and basically saying that they were a bunch of boobs for not being able to find the dude. And they had him... Knocked off. They had him whacked, mm. Liz, because he was right. bad mouthing their their abilities. Okay, so That's there's a theory. There's one weird conspiracy theory. The other conspiracy theory is that Cooper was made up by the flight crew who staged the whole thing to keep the money for themselves. Then how come they didn't ever spend it? How come they didn't ever spend it? Is right. I don't know. Could you? I mean, they, they forwarded these serial numbers to a whole bunch of banks and financial institutions. But Liz, like, what happens when you take American money to, like, a Swiss bank? Yeah. Can you, can you um, do it that way? Like, I don't know. I think a Swiss bank would track it, but I'm sure there's shady countries in the world that yeah. they keep American cash reserves. Yeah. Or what I have actually thought about with this money is what happens to stolen artwork, that it becomes, in some circles, less an issue of, I want this, you know, I want the Sea of Galilee or whatever. You yeah. don't want the the painting itself. You want it as collateral. So it's never going to be Ooh. sold and resurfaced. But because you're both in on this, but you have this powerful collateral resource. Now, is $200,000 at this point worth that much? Probably not. It's um, like $1.2 million in today's money. Yeah, but it didn't oh, appreciate sorry. that way. You're right. Um, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. But, like, would it still be getting handed around? Probably not. Like, I think at this point it couldn't serve in that role, yeah. but I could definitely see a situation where 
it gets stashed as this kind of, you know, we're going to hold on to this for 30 years and we have enough money that we can give you $200,000 in unmarked, unsequential, negotiable American dollars. And then, you know, we'll, we'll launder this somehow, Ooh. you know. I hadn't thought of that. Because the American dollar can go a lot of places. Yeah, it can. And I mean, when they say that they distribute these serial numbers to banks, maybe I should have researched this and not asked you on the air and put you on the spot. But That's okay. when a bank gets any bill, or do they scan all of them? So like if these bills were crumbled up and non-sequential anymore, like, could you spend it? How would the bank know? Unless they were checking every single $20 bill that came into their facility. My understanding having just like, again, this is I researched D.B. Cooper once upon a time. When I say research, I just meant clicked a million links. Yeah. Uh, And I'm not sure of the specifics, but people who have looked into the specifics are pretty confident that if that money was in circulation, it would have turned up. Okay. So either it's on a riverbed somewhere in the Pacific Northwest or, yeah. you know, turned into probably little crumbs of paper at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, lining a beaver's nest someplace. Exactly. Or it has been traded to somebody who didn't need to circulate those specific bills. Okay. For that to be worth money to them. I love it. I okay. love it. My, I mean, I think he's... I don't think... He would have not used the money. I don't know mm-hmm. why you would have extorted that amount and then not spent it. So my conclusion is that D.B. Cooper perished in flight, mm-hmm. on impact, or, you know, landed and survived, but his injuries were too great or whatever to get out of the woods alive. That's my thought. Yeah. I really want, like you said, I want the gentleman thief mm-hmm. to be alive and well on an island somewhere, just living a great tropical small life Mm -hmm. i love that idea i have heard another conspiracy theory that i'll share with you share please um what if at 8 13 when they felt that bump he just jumped up and down and chucked a little bit of money out and then he didn't actually get off the plane until much closer to reno so they've been looking at the completely wrong place all these years I mean, Their that's whole cool. search radius concept is based on the idea that that was when he left the plane. What if he didn't? Yeah. And he could be alive or dead. You know, he yeah. could have jumped out near Reno, but still mm-hmm. not survived. But they never... Liz, I hadn't thought of that. Isn't that a fun idea? Oh, I like and, that a and lot. Here, here's the other piece that you need to make this work. He just did it for the rush. <laughs> he, uh, another conspiracy theorist... All the FBI agents think he had to have been a desperate man in need of the money. And there are some fringe folks who said he did it just because he could or just mm-hmm. to see if he could. Yeah. What if he was a bored millionaire? Yeah. What if he was Bruce Wayne? And yeah. he's just like, you know what? We're going with it. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, realistically, there's a skeleton hanging from a parachute somewhere yeah. on a tree in the woods, and we're going to find it in like 20 years. Yeah. But yeah, I like the other version better. I like the other version better, too. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, oh, DB, Dennis. if you're out there, contact us broads. Mm-hmm. Look us up, man. Yeah, I don't know. Me. Me. <laughs> you can be my new history boyfriend. Yeah. Liz has already called yeah. dibs on one, so. 
so gentlemanly. Well, he may have been Canadian. Let's be honest, that's the real reason they thought he was Canadian, right? Is because he was so polite. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that was it. I'm sure he was mm-hmm. apologizing about the inconvenience of hijacking them. and Yeah, because that's the actual, like, Canadians I have known. And when you look at Canada historically, it's that they are very polite, but also badasses. So you're not expecting it. Oh, yeah. And I think this all lines up with the D.B. Cooper phenomenon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm all about it. I know two Canadians. And like you said, they're both very polite and super badass. So... I'm all about it. Oh, and now I want to know if they like checked the passenger list and if it's possible that he just like swapped clothes and got off the plane. That's one of the theories is that there was a man who was in cahoots with the flight crew. He -hmm. would have bought a ticket as himself boarded the plane. He would have gotten off the plane somehow, probably with the help of this flight crew, right? Mm -hmm. Bought a ticket as Dan Cooper boarded again. So it would have looked like they had, say, 60 passengers, because that's how many boarded, but they really only had 59. So when the money comes on the plane, it could have gone off with one of the passengers. And that's why it had to be a plane that had two sets of stairs, because he comes in the front door as himself, walks all the way to the back, walks right back off the back stairs, and then boards again. Yep. And somewhere in here, he swaps outfits with a flight attendant. I just feel like that's probably a crucial part of it. Have you watched Ocean's Eleven recently? Because I feel like that's something they would have done or approved of. Yeah. Oh, man, I love a good heist. It's a good heist, This is a great heist. It's a great heist. I would really love to know what our listeners think happened to Mm -hmm. D.B. Cooper. People get real heated on internet forums, so. Oh, I do. Well, I feel like any explanation of D.B. Cooper has to cover a couple things. One is... What did he do with the money? Why didn't it ever get spent? Or did it? And there's some kind of conspiracy covering that up. Yeah. Number two, how did he walk out of the woods if that's where he landed? Or wherever he landed, you know, skydiving, you got to have a plan. You can't just pop out with a parachute any old place and have it work out. No, you can't. Yeah. No, you can't. I'm not going to hop out with a parachute regardless of having a plan or not or a person strapped to me it's just not it's not what you do i wouldn't do it for two hundred thousand dollars i wouldn't do it for 1.2 million dollars i would agree you'd have to put me on that plane like b.a baracus just screaming (laughs) just fighting the whole way (laughs) i would never do it is that a street fighter reference no in the a-team Oh, I don't get it. There was there was a, a guy, Baracus, who was a fighting, <laughs> screaming guy on Street Fighter. Yeah, he's named after Mr. T's character, oh. who was afraid of flying. Oh! <laughs> it all comes together. It all comes together. Oh, man. <laughs> I ain't getting on no plane. I ain't getting on no plane. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, Liz, dang it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, speaking of deep cuts. All right. Get out of here. (laughs) Outro us, my friend, and everybody can start sending us their D.B. Cooper theories. I sure hope I'm so glad you covered D.B. Cooper. I'm so glad you let me cover D.B. Cooper. Yes. Yes. You have been listening to Ouija Broads. 
This is Devin joined with Liz, and we would love if you would rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you are a social person, we'd also love it if you'd follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the Ouija Broads. We've got OuijaBroads.com. Live weird. Die weird. Stay weird. That was a good one. Yeah, you're a good one. (laughs) Oh, my God.